everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 60 now, if I'm correct. So we are officially old as a podcast, and we are loving it. This week we have Suzanne DeWitt Hall, and she's an LGBT advocate, kind of, for the church. She's also an author. Um, she's going to share her story with us today. And also we have Libby on the podcast, which is cool. On episode number 60, Pilgrims and Prodigals Podcast! Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I believe this is episode 60. We're, we're officially in the 60s. We're getting old. <laughs> we're getting old as a podcast. Only I think 60 is wow. a new 40. <laughs> so anyways, uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Today I've got Libby on. What's up, Libby? Hi. And uh, <laughs> Just podcasting. Oh, yeah. And we have a special guest on, Suzanne dewitt hall not susan just so you guys you've got it right (laughs) what's up susan how you doing i'm doing great um well i mean considering the the news of the of the week and all the trauma the whole nation is going through i'm i'm relatively doing great it's it's fun to be talking to you guys awesome now um you you uh kind of preluded to that a little bit and on on Twitter, um, what exactly are you talking about? Just so everyone knows, and so I know, because I don't keep up on current events. Oh, so um, the past week was pretty gruesome with shootings of a black um, couple one day, and the murder of eleven people in a synagogue on Saturday. And the other bombing, the bombs that were sent to various um, of oh yeah, I heard about Donald, that. Donald Trump's opponents. Yeah, so it's just been a week where you're constantly going, "What next?" Really yeah. crazy, and scary, disturbing, and you know. So um, I just you have to kind of protect your mind from that. So it's probably smart that you don't follow current events. I mean, I I really. You know, I keep up as much as I can, but number one, it's hard to keep up with everything. And number two, I feel like it's kind of like demoralizing to keep up with everything because it's so, everything is so negative and it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you lean on or which religious side you lean on or whatever the, you know, topic is. I mean, things just seem to be so negative and like, we live in a world right now where everything is so like tumultuous and like if it seems like everyone's always fighting about something and I, that's kind of like what we created this podcast about is to for it, it originally started just for uh like people who believe in God but they are trying to figure out what they believe about him and, you know, we ventured into politics and we ventured into sexuality and gender and all these different um, cultural things that are going on. And and I think it's it's really good to create kind of like a safe zone where, like, it's okay to talk about these things and it's okay to even disagree about these things even. But what's not okay is mailing bombs to people. <laughs> we can all agree right. on that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting in the Christian 
tradition that there's there seems to be um, while there is a ton of debate that takes place, it's sort of implied that it shouldn't be taking place and everybody should view things the same way, which is kind of ridiculous because Christianity comes out of Judaism, which has the ancient tradition of the rabbis bickering and and chewing and talking about things and, you know, wrestling with meaning. And yet now it's like, oh, everything is crystal clear. And, you know, you can only be God's chosen if you view it the correct way. So it's gotten kind of crazy that way. And so I appreciate this idea of a, of the safe space to talk. And I also, you're smart to unplug. We've, my wife and I have, um, decided for the last couple of months, we've been taking a social media sabbatical and and Mm -hmm. news sabbatical on the weekends because it was just too much. It's Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. It really is. Um, it's just crazy seeing the way people just interact with each other. I mean, you've got it on the left and the right. I mean, especially like right now we live in such a charged political climate. Um, I personally would consider myself probably as far as, uh, as far as um, politics go, I would consider myself like I'm. A, I would consider myself libertarian, but like more right leaning libertarian because I think um, the alt right kind of gets it really wrong. <laughs> like uh, just their starch views, their starch conservative views, um, especially on like marriage and stuff like that. Um, I, I think that's kind of crazy. I mean, we live in a constantly changing world um and stuff like that so i don't know i would consider myself libertarian because i think there are a lot of good things that there are a lot of good things that come out of the conservative mindset but then there's also destructive things as well and i think it's the same with the left as well and in the uh the liberal side of it because you know the idea of you know welfare and taking care of people and you know country supporting it's lower class and stuff like that. Those are good things that we need to focus on. But I think when you go into like straying away from the liberal and going into the leftist side of it, it can get kind of crazy too with, uh, I don't know. You hear about, um, just people going crazy on both sides of it. You've got the super alt-right conservative, and then you've got the super, uh, you know, social justice warriors on, on the side that, you know, that, I don't know. I can't speak a lot to that side because I don't know much about it, which is a reason I wanted to have you on here so we can talk about kind of both sides, not necessarily politically, but I know Mm -hmm. that I want to just hear about your story and I'm talking a lot and I want to let you talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mm. Well, I get it because I, um, I came from sort of a, conservative pretty darn conservative view Mm -hmm. um politically and sort of my faith base and then life interrupted and kind of exploded and everything flipped around and and so now i'm i'm kind of on the other end of the on the spectrum on both both fronts you know politics and um faith so uh things shift and and get crazy when life intervenes i think yeah, I, I'm kind of in a strange place because I used to be more conservative when it came to religion and then more liberal when it came to politics. And now my my views have kind of flip-flopped almost. Like when I, when I think about uh, legislation, um, you know, con- 
specifically concerning like economy, not like lifestyles and stuff like that. But when I when I look at legislation and uh, bills and stuff like that, I, I consider myself more conservative. But then when it comes to when it comes to religion, I'm definitely a hundred million times more liberal than I used to be to the point where I can just, I can finally get back to the point um, within like the last month that I can say that I fully believe in God again. Cause mm, I, can, I wow. couldn't say that a month ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Things are shifting rapidly for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Libby, um, where, like, where do you find yourself on that spectrum of like um, religion and, maybe even getting into like politics, like where do you, where do you find yourself on that spectrum? If you, if you feel comfortable going into it? Yeah, sure. I think socially I'm very liberal. Um, I consider myself independent for in both of those subjects. I would say religious, you know, Christian, but independent, no denomination sort of affiliation. And politically for me, it's the same thing. You know, I, I, um, I would rather just look at the issues and the values that I hold most important, and that's what I'll gravitate towards yeah. in any part of my life is how that feels right now. Yeah. That's a hard position to be in, I think, um, in in our world, at least. I mean, politically, if you want a candidate to actually win i mean if that's what yeah you know if, if you want someone with your views to be holding office it's really hard to find them and right. it's hard to find like a faith community that matches up it's it's tough i mean i think it's a really good thing um but it ends up being very tough to kind of uh live out in a community way i guess yeah, practically you're right i mean i have no church at the moment that i would you know consider um, you know, like I would be connected to, but, um, which Keith and I kind of have the same background coming out of a church a few years ago where I don't know though, I'm at peace with that now. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to be where I am, even if it does, <laughs> it, it can be difficult, but right. um, having such good close friends and family has made all the difference in the world with that. So it just looks differently than, what it did before. Yeah. Did you guys come out of the evangelical yes. kind of church? Or, okay. So yeah. you're, are you ex-evangelicals? I am. I don't know where yeah. Libby's mm-hmm. at. Yeah. 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 I would say that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I'm, right. I'm so- 100% ex-evangelical. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that's the proper way to really show Jesus to the world. I don't think, getting everybody on this one particular mindset and this particular view of the Bible and, uh, you know, go preach the gospel to the world because they're all going to hell and they need the truth, you know, like, I don't know. I think there's a different way to show people Jesus and I haven't figured it out yet, but I know it doesn't look like that. Right. So Agreed, unfortunately. It's interesting how that all sort of connects into my story. Mm-hmm. Um I'm an author. I don't know if we even opened up by saying that, but I'm an author. And, uh, <laughs> my focus um, is kind of on two things. One is um, I've been working on a series of devotionals um, related to LGBTQ inclusion and affirmation within church. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the other side of things is that I have a series of children's books, which um, include um, LGBTQ secondary characters. So the stories are just a adventure stories about this silly dog hero who gets himself into trouble by trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but meanwhile, there's these characters. His He has two moms and his best friend is a cat who wears a tutu named Mr. Noodles. So, um, you know, there's these books that are just including yeah. um, diverse, diverse family and diverse secondary um, characters uh, because that's kind of where we are in society. It's time for, for books like yeah, that. I like it because it's acknowledging like, hey, these things are here. We can't just write them off and ignore them and pretend that they don't exist. Yeah, and kids have families like this. They've got friends whose families are like this. They've got friends who are gender creative and don't necessarily fit a mold. Um, so, yeah, so really... Now my my writing focus all centers around um, LGBTQ issues in in you know in two different very different ways. Um, now the reason the the primary driver for that is that um, I have always identified as heterosexual, um, but I met a friend in uh, about two thousand eight I would say in church, in our socially conservative um, church, which had a patriarchal structure, all-male priesthood, all-male governing council, Mm. um, very socially conservative. And we met in that church, and she also was married to, we were both married to men at the time in in bad marriages. Um, And we became close friends and would we she attended my bible study and we led in some ministry areas for a while and then our um our friendship shifted and we ended up falling in love which was totally crazy to us because my faith formation was primarily roman catholic and hers was primarily southern baptist and both of those consider homosexual behavior to be you know the, the baptist figure you're going to hell the Catholics, you know, call it intrinsically disordered. So it, you know, it's up to God. They believe that that God is the judge and you can't assume anyone is going to heaven or hell, but still, yeah. you know, it's, so we had to try to figure out what the heck was going on. And, and, um, she's, she's my wife now and we're exquisitely happy together. That's um, good. That's good. So we had to kind of pour through the scriptures and and reevaluate what we're reading. And we were doing daily Bible studies together and, you know, going to church, finding churches that we could attend um, throughout several years. And I was taking notes because God was just shining light on the scriptures in a whole different way. So um, I was collecting these notes and knew I was going to turn them into a book. Uh, but I wasn't sure what the book was going to be. And then it occurred to me that um, there hadn't been a new devotional for queer people in some time. And so I um, wrote my first devotional called Where True Love Is. Um, And that presents sort of a a systematic theology. I didn't know it was a systematic theology until the other day when uh, the pastor of the church that we've been attending was looking at the book and... um, he said, and I was describing to a group of people who who were studying it now together. 
Uh Um, I was describing the structure of how it's built. And he said, oh, that's a systematic theology. And I was like, really? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know that. Um, So anyway, so Where True Love is, it starts out with um, saying who is God and what are the scriptures um, and what about the law, Jesus and the law. Mm. Um, And it goes through kind of Christian can a Christian be a sinner? And it builds up after going through all that to dealing with sexuality and gender um, to try to kind of walk through what this big picture is. So that was the first one. That was where true love is. Okay. Um, And then after that, I, we were increasingly seeing people really hurting um, in social media. My wife is a social media strategist for authors and for nonprofits. So of course she's, she's promoting my book my books. And, um, as part of that, so she's very connected into the LGBTQ, um, online communities and she's seeing the pain of people constantly, um, you know, kids getting kicked out of their house and, and people heartbroken because they're not welcome in their churches anymore. And, um, people saying they want to commit suicide. And, and she sees it. She, she says she cries pretty much every day from seeing these stories still. Um, yeah, it, it's really sad. It really is. So most of the pain that she started seeing a lot of pain in the transgender community. Um, so then I created the second devotional, which used some of that same foundational material from the first one, but then built on and evaluated um, the scriptures, which mention gender and um, eunuchs and how God views eunuchs, which are kind of the closest thing that we have scripturally to um to you know the modern day gender variant people, um, okay. so that was the second one. Sorry. Uh, so, so what would and what would a biblical like eunuch um, actually look like? Because I'm not I'm not even sure what. I mean, I've I've heard the term in the Bible, but I'm not really sure like what that is. Yeah. I assume it's just someone who's been castrated, right? It's kind of what a eunuch is. There were three different types of eunuchs, um, those who were made, who were born as eunuchs, those who were made to be, which would, you would assume castration and those Uh who sort of choose it, um, to, by, by sort of faith and spiritually, um, it's not outlined what, what it means, um, to be a eunuch, but there's like old Testament prohibitions that if a man has his, um, testicles crushed he's not allowed into the assembly um and and because of that kind of that kind of law eunuchs were looked down at um because they weren't always permitted into um into worship into temple and into worship the way everybody else was but the interesting thing is that when you look at the eunuchs when you kind of study them that there's a bunch of heroes that are eunuchs that assist various characters. Daniel's one, um, Esther is another. And there's also passages which, which in which God talks about how um, eunuchs will be blessed and they will be, have even more blessings than some of sort of the chosen people. So, you know, you've got a lot of um, modern, you know, contemporary Christians now who are condemning people and pulling out, Deuteronomy passages about yeah. not cross-dressing. Um, First of all, if you're pulling but, anything out of Deuteronomy to 
denounce a person in modern culture, I mean, you really need to <laughs> you really need to check yourself because that was written for a specific people in a specific time, and it doesn't it doesn't relate, especially if you're not even Jewish. It doesn't relate. I don't know. It doesn't. It it doesn't, and um, it's so people choose it so selectively. I mean, you've got these exactly, especially evan- evangelicals. They'll say, "Well, you've got two camps. You've got the camp that says Old Testament doesn't matter anymore. It's all about New Testament. It's all about Jesus." But they'll look at, they'll pull out, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. They'll pull out the Deuteronomy about not wear a man not wearing women's clothes. They'll pull out selective things that they say perpetually applies. But when you talk about haircuts or mixing of fabrics in a in a garment or yeah. any of the other, you know, stoning a stoning an adulterous daughter, yeah. hopefully they would say no, it doesn't apply. So it, there's a lot of hypocritical thinking yeah. and uh, yeah, a fun fact about sodom and gomorrah if you actually look at the story and why god destroyed those cities homosexuality is not one of the things listed that is that is a true fact if you look in into the old testament and looking at sodom and gomorrah being destroyed homosexuality is not one of the things listed it is like idolatry and some other stuff like that because i've looked into all of these into all of this yeah stuff. Absolutely, and in in hospitality, there, I mean, no, the the hospitality was required um, in those days because travelers would literally die if someone didn't give them yeah. food, water, and shelter. You know, and so it was a requirement. It was a requirement of the society, and it was a grievous um, sin or, or, or moral fault, I should say, if you didn't extend hospitality. So, you know, part of it is that it was this violation against these strangers that there were all these, these men who had all turned demonic and were storming the doors were going to come and rape these men. But, you know, these men are, are, were supposed to be angels. So not only was it a raping of men and, and a violation of hospitality, but it was this epic battle between good and evil where yeah. this, this horde of people that's described, I mean, if it was about homosexuality, they would just have sex with themselves. There's no reason to, you know, if they're all into it, um, you know, there's no reason to come and take these three people, angels. Um, yeah. It's, it was all about rape. Um, yeah. And the there, story there is There so were a lot, of, a lot more aspects got, into that than just the, you know, oh, these, these guys were gay. So that's why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. No, there's way more that went into that story than just that. If that's all you pull out of that passage, then I'm sorry, friend, you are severely, severely misled. And that's the go-to, you know, yeah. that's the go-to uh, story. But yeah, you know, Isaiah and I think Ezekiel, I was just going to look, both of them talk about um, what are, Isaiah says, what, is the sin of Sodom. Um, let me just find it for you here. Okay. Um, but anyways, because it's, I, it's good to have you on, though. Sorry. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Okay, so the the phrase is, now this was Ezekiel from chapter 16. Now this okay. was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. So, you know, that's Ezekiel commenting on it, and never does he mention anything about homosexuality. Exactly, and even if you go back to the exact passages of it, it's not mentioned. mm -hmm. So, Right. I did not know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
And Isaiah, it's, yes, it says the same know. thing. Mm-hmm. Isaiah says the same thing. So, I mean, and Isaiah is sort of like the prophet of prophets, right? It's the, a lot of evangelicals just love Isaiah. It's all, they, they believe that it's all about um, most of his stuff or a lot of his stuff is, is looking forward to Jesus's coming. And so they mm-hmm. think he's kind of like super awesome, but um, they ignore that yeah. bit where he says, you know, this is the sin Sodom and doesn't mention homosexuality anywhere. And there's so much other distorted sexuality in that story. You've got the father who's offering the daughters instead. He's like, no, don't rape these strangers. Please rape my daughters instead. Yeah. I mean, and Thanks, then Dad. after that, the, the city's destroyed. The The wife, you know, turns into a pillar of salt. And then the father and the two daughters go up to live in a cave. That whole story. The girls uh, yeah. um, despair that they'll ever meet anyone and have children. And so they get their dad drunk. They have sex with them so that they can get pregnant. So, and I mean, their descendants if this, end so, up becoming the Canaanites and are destroyed by the Israelites when they go into the promised land. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if the whole thing is about sex, then why is God okay with all that happening? I mean, you know, why, why wasn't, Ab- why wasn't Lot destroyed for offering his daughters, which was, a you know, for them to be raped was, a sin, a violation of law. So that's so crazy. crazy. That's so now that, now that you're just talking about all that, it's insane because people are like, yeah, it's because they were gay in that city. Okay. Let's not. Right. Okay. So let's not look at the fact that this guy was wanting these men to rape his daughters. Let's not look at the fact that this guy literally slept with his own daughters and created an entire nation of people from that. (laughs) Okay. Let's look past all of that. It's the craziest story. Yeah. It's really bizarre. So, you know, there's a lot of that stuff that people, but, you know, people accept what they're taught. They respect their religious authority, whoever they are, and they just accept it and they don't go deeper. And what I have found in engaging in discussion with conservative Christians throughout um, a number of years is that you can take them to a certain point and then their brains literally shut down and they are not able to process because um, it's that cognitive dissonance becomes so uncomfortable um, mm-hmm. that they can't take it. And they'll just be like, Nope, oh, I'm done. You know, we're not talking anymore. And that's it. You know, sometimes they'll go in a little rage fit first, but um, you're right. But they can't that. handle it Yeah, because it's, it becomes too scary that if, all of this thing that you've built up your understanding and your respect for the people who taught you, if that's in question, then what does that mean to your faith? And what does that mean about God? Um, yeah. So it becomes very yeah. frightening for them. Libby, you sound like you were going to say something there. Sorry, it cut out. My reception isn't so great. But I think that that's it with any of it. I mean, this is a huge topic we're talking about with, you know, sexuality and stuff but i mean any of it hitting that wall where you're either willing to ask yourself hard questions and let things go or you're not mm-hmm. i don't know it's i think it's exciting i love it i love this journey i mean you know going from the the place where we were at where it was super conservative uh super charismatic super traditional kind of uh you know theological viewpoints on things and they were stark, they were set, they were concrete, they were not movable, you know, to the point that I'm at now where it's like, you know, what is real? Is God even real? You know, and I'm finally back to the point where I can, I can say, you know what, I, you know, I can't get away from the idea that I believe in God. So I, I, I am a Christian, 
But even past that, you know, going into, you know, ideas of, of hell and everything like that, you know, it's like, does everything, does all of this have to be so rock solid? Or can it, can it literally be, I have a relationship with God and he's constantly showing me who he is and growing me as a person. So one of the things, one of the phrases that we've used is that, you know, people are trying to shove God into a box the size of a book you can put on your bedside table. Obviously, God can't be constrained to the stories of a book. Obviously, I mean, by any kind of intellectual, no matter what you're taught, right about scripture, you've got to recognize that he can't fit. God cannot fit into what we see in the Bible. He's just got to be vastly larger. And it's unfortunate that, um, that there's been periods throughout Christianity that are more um, open and able to embrace mystery. And there's periods where there are less. And, you know, after the enlightenment, we got this idea that human brains can understand anything as long as they get the facts, right? We, we yeah. sort of lied to ourselves that we can, we can comprehend anything. We can understand with enough sciencing. Um, and when it comes to something like God, a con the concept of God, you cannot, it's not possible. And that's okay. I mean, wrestling with mystery, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. Now it's interesting that you, you mentioned charismatic because the, the church that I met my wife in, um, it was this new thing at the time, relatively new thing, where it was trying to combine the three streams. They called it three streams of Christianity, which was the liturgical, so like high church, Catholic or Episcopal mm -hmm. type service, with evangelical, so strong focus on the, the gospels and the, and the word. Um, but it was also charismatic. So there was um, healing prayer after communion. And, you know, sometimes would people be slain in the spirit and there was contemporary worship music and um, yeah. speaking in tongues and stuff like that. So it was an interesting mix at that church. It sounds interesting. It really does. Yeah, it was. If it hadn't been so socially conservative, I think it could have been a really cool thing. Yeah. And, and not patriarchal because, um, you know, I think that there's some significant problems in having an all male structure. No, I agree with you as, as a male. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, we live in an age where things need to be diversified. I mean, 100%. I mean, males shouldn't be making all the calls. Guys shouldn't be making all the calls. It's just not, it's not necessary. It's not needed. And, and you know, it, it does, it does, for it's not beneficial because different um, viewpoints or different sides aren't properly addressed or represented. You know, like I can't talk about what it's like to be a woman. You know, I can't talk about, you know, what it's like, you know, to be gay, you know, different stuff like that. So it's like we need people who can talk about those things in a church structure, in a church setting, because, uh, you know, I can get as much of an understanding from um, Suzanne, like people like you, um, and I can get an understanding of what it's like, you know, I can get an understanding of these different political and social things that are going on, but I am not a part of that. You know, I, I am a guy I'm white. And as much as like, as much as like, I want to, 
I don't know. I, I don't believe that the whole identity politics is as much of an issue as people make it out to be. Um, like I said, I probably lean more conservative than liberal when it comes to political stuff. So when it comes to like identity politics, I don't think it's as crazy as some people make it out to be. But I do understand the idea of like, I'm not going to be able to correctly capture what your life looks like and how you got there and whether that's right or wrong. And honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like you're a person living your life. Like who is anybody to tell you that you're wrong? That that's what I'm see that's one of the main reasons that I'm like at a point where I've walked away from church and consider myself exvangelical because you know the church does a really good job at putting everyone down according to this scripture and what this says in their translation even though the church down the road has a completely different understanding of the Bible altogether. So it's like why what what is the need to constantly tell everybody that they're wrong and they need to live this way or they're going to hell? What good Well, is- one of the questions I started asking people when I would get into these discussions, uh, typically online, is after there was a bunch of back and forth and I would counter, you know, what they're saying. And I usually do that by asking questions because it's an effective tool to kind of lead them the direction I want them to go. But at the end of it, it would come down to, okay, what makes you think that the scripture you choose to hold highest or you choose to discard the correct set? And why is that? You know, so, so you choose to discard this set of scriptures and rules. I choose to discard this set of scripture and rules. What makes your set the right set and mine the wrong set? You know, where in the Bible, right? Because all these people are, it's all the Bible, where in the Bible does it tell you that your set is right? Yeah. And again, that's that's where they just start freaking out and get ragey and then shut their brains down and disappear because there's no answering it. They back up into the uh, answers that they've been dealt. Um, you know, when someone, I mean, we've all been through apologetics courses, right? Like if you run into an atheist on the street and they ask this question, this is the answer you give them. Go through mm-hmm. these steps. Here are the even scientific things that you can use to prove your point. And here are all your Bible verses. And, you know, try to relate to them. And, you know, it's like, just listen. You know, that that's where I'm yeah. at right now. Just listen. That's good. Everyone's Listening got a, is good. And Everyone's got a story to tell, you know. Well, and isn't that what Jesus was about? I mean, Jesus was all about the individual people that he encountered. And... And Jesus, and what we learn from the church is that, you know, there's God inside of us. There's that Jesus says that when we're feeding and, and offering water and, and offering clothing to, to people who are in need, we're doing it for him. And, you know, that message is that we should be listening to everybody's stories and giving them value and treating them with dignity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, we should be listening. That's for sure. Yeah. Now, one thing that you said a minute ago um, talking about people putting God in the size of a book or whatever. You know, we talked about on the yeah. last. We talked a lot on the about on the last podcast. We were talking about, you know, what God could be, uh, how He created everything. Um, could evolution um, be a sustainable uh, answer to how everything got here? And you know, why are Christians so against evolution? 
uh, when it doesn't necessarily disprove God. And talking about this idea of we want to put God in a box, um, and, you know, I think that fits in this conversation as well. You know, I think God is bigger than the couple scriptures we, we want to put around him, you know, and we, we want to we want to define who God is and what he stands for. Uh, when Jesus was clearly about having a relationship with someone and guiding that person. And one thing that I that I've always said throughout this whole podcast is, you know what, if I'm wrong, I trust that God's going to show me if I'm going down the wrong path. If I believe in the wrong things and it's genuinely hurting my salvation and whatever, like I genuinely believe that God's going to guide me on the on the proper course I need to go. I don't think I need to be scared of asking questions. I don't need to be scared of talking to people. I don't need to be scared of changing what the hell I believe in because it's not that scary of a thing. It's just broadening your horizon and being like, okay, maybe there's more to this God than I than I've you know depicted. Well, you know, J- J- John tells us that God is love. So if if God is love, then there really is nothing to fear. Um, secondly, God is always, uh, God is about relationship and, and wants us to try to seek relationship um, with them, which is, is hard. Um, and any seeking we do, they've got to be smiling about, even if, like you said, you go down paths and okay, they're not, they're not as close to, you know, truth with a capital T, um, but you're searching and you're earnestly seeking. And I I think a lot about this word judgment, right? That, that Christians use to usually when they're trying to condemn someone for the behavior or if they're the, the style of evangelical where it's like once saved, always saved, and you just say the sinner's prayer and you're good, yeah. except if you happen to be gay or whatever the, you know, the yeah. crime du jour is. Um, it, it, it seems to totally miss the meaning of the word judgment because judging is not binary. If salvation, if, if salvation even exists, first of all, but if salvation is an on-off switch where you're either in or out, you're either saved or not, you're either, you know, your faith is either real or not, then there's no need for judgment. What judgment is, is God's evaluation of how you did, you know, and, and sort of the, the Catholic, the Roman Catholic view, the official teaching now, you know, individual Roman Catholics are going to be a different story, but the official teaching is that there is this evaluation based on your, um, Based on the graces that you are given is is roughly the phrase. I'm paraphrasing, but that's roughly it. Okay. That that your response based on the graces that you're given. So a lot of people have really shit lives and struggle and have terrible things happen which lead them to do terrible things. Yeah. And we have a God who is going to evaluate them based on that, right? And then you've got people who have had a very easy time have all the gifts in the world and they're making decisions about how they live their lives and God evaluates them based on that. Um, So, you know, that's kind of my view of this God and, and it, it lines up with what you're saying that because of that, it doesn't, the individual paths we go down doesn't really matter. I mean, you can be any form of Christian or any form of non-Christian. And we have this God who is looking down at this creation that he's so happy with. 
You know, God created each yeah. of us to be incredibly unique and beautiful and different and um, wonderful and is so happy that we're just seeking after them. Oh, I, I 100% agree. And that's kind of like why we named this podcast Pilgrims and Prodigals, because we're all on this journey. We're either pilgrims trying to find our way to God or we're prodigals running away from God. And we're all mm-hmm. trying to figure out truth. We're all trying to figure out this God question. You know, anyone who's listening to the podcast is trying to figure out, you know, what is this whole, what is this whole God thing? And, and why is, you know, why is it so fucked up? Like, why has it got to be everything so controversial? Why does everything have to be so set one way? Like, how, how do we, how do we figure out what we believe? And I, I don't know. And I think there's a lot that goes with that. Um, but that's kind of the concept of what the podcast is about. You know, we're all trying to figure out who this God is. We're all trying to figure out you know, the truth. So It's interesting that right now I'm, I'm in this phase. I feel like it's been brewing for about six months or so where I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to focus on next. This book series has been all about um, speaking to the evangelical mindset, and I've never really particularly been evangelical. I've always been something slightly different. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure where he's calling me. I'm not sure if it's, you know, I thought maybe I should study the mystics and that doesn't feel quite right. And then, um, the pastor at the church that we've been attending was talking about this guy, I think his name is Peter Rollins. I, I have only just started looking at him, but he talked about this. I don't know if it was called experimental or radical, Christianity. And he said it was connected to the emerging church. So I don't know much about mm-hmm. that, except it seems to be breaking a ton of rules. Have you heard about that, Libby? I, did I hear you? Uh, emerging church. Um, yeah, just that whole movement. Peter Rollins, that sounds familiar, but I, I don't know specifically him right now. But um, well, Keith, you're familiar with that too. I mean, we have like pub churches here around Indy, like just kind of that different idea of um, different style doing of church, church different okay. yeah then which is really interesting oh, I'm down with that I love that idea let's do it different let's shake it up yeah I, I think that there's a lot of people doing that and I don't know how old you guys are but there's certainly a lot of you know young youngish people millennials and things just saying essentially F I don't I don't know how many much swearing takes place on your you can say whatever the hell you can't want. remember okay i thought you said that but it, they're like fuck this you know and i'm not gonna be Go and there's pastors it. and they're swearing on twitter yeah. and they're you know fed up and i'm loving it you know <laughs> i'm just there for it's it real it's day. real well it breaks real. it breaks that man of god syndrome that is so that is like poison the church you know there's this one man and he is the head of the church and he got, and he says he never stumbles, he never sins, he never falters. He's always on, you know. He's always attentive. He's always listening. He's always doing the right thing, you know. That man falters, and we've seen it time and time again of these men, these great men of God who have fallen, and that's what. And these men are what give um, a lot of like the big, the big capital church such a bad name. You know, you hear about these guys who, you know, they fall into depravity and cheating on their wives and alcohol and drug problems and 
power tr- struggles and all this different shit. And it's because they had so much pressure to be this perfect, sinless man of God. And they couldn't they couldn't say shit on a pulpit. They couldn't say fuck in a pulpit. They couldn't say that they're, they're struggling with cheating on their wife in a pulpit and trying to, you know handle that and they could they couldn't talk about an alcohol problem or a drug problem over a pulpit because they had to be this perfect man of god you know so and i that's what i love about the emerging church i didn't know that was the actual name of it but that's what i love about it i mean it's a bunch of people saying you know we're fed up with the bullshit we want we want god and we want him in an honest way and i'm being about as honest as i can be you know (laughs) Right. And they want it to be authentic and, and and for everybody, yeah, for all of it to be more real. And I think everybody's waking up to the fact that what we've been seeing in in church and in our faith leaders and in just the way we approach everything, it just doesn't, it isn't real. It doesn't feel real. Our approach to scripture study doesn't feel real because it's sort of this, it reminds me of um, those false front buildings in old westerns i don't remember what they're called right but they've got this big it looks like a two-story building and you get in behind it is just a you know it's got a low ceiling right over your head and Mm -hmm. um it's it's just like this it all feels false and god can't you know sustainable i mean for Mm. and what worked for our parents doesn't mean that that is what works now obviously the, the whole model to you know, just to reevaluate what that means to even look like church, that the idea of putting your income and all of this into buildings. And I just can't swallow that anymore. Like to pay. I don't know. Yeah. 100% as far as the financial side goes. Well, it used to be that, you know, we're talking a long time ago now that churches were the only place that people could find beauty. There was, people didn't have books in their houses, you know, Gutenberg's invention meant that Bibles could start getting propagated, but it took a long time for any, everybody to be able to afford a Bible in their house. That was all, that's all a relatively new invention. And churches where, where you would go and you would be able to see art and you would be able to see stained glass and you'd be able to hear beautiful music, none of which you had in your home. So, the world has moved on drastically from that. We, you know, now you can, you can get art and music everywhere. You can, with a flick of this, you know, your, yeah. uh, your phone, light up your phone and you can go to an art museum or, you know, turn on a, a symphony or whatever. Yeah. Now- um, so it, I think that there used to be a real role for that. And there's still, you know, I still have sort of mixed feelings about some of that, but, um, but clearly, that's not the the same kind of need or the same kind of society we are in now. Yeah. Now I have a question. So just an a thought that popped in my head. So you've seen it time and time again throughout the church history. It, it seems like the church has just a tough time accepting change in general, uh, whether it's a cultural shift. Uh, an economical shift, a technological shift, whatever it is, whenever there's a change, it's almost like the church is like hesitant and fights it at first, but then after it sees that things aren't going back to the way it was, they'll change with it. Like, why do you think that is? Why do you think the church seems to fight um, to stay in that safe zone? And it, it 
always fights that adaptation mode? That's a really good question. I haven't thought about it before. I mean, I think people in general are, are um, a lot of people have problems with change, resist change. I, I luckily, I feel like it's a gift from God. I don't mind change um, for the most part, but people in general do. But, you know, as far as organizationally, um, I wonder if they feel like it's, there's so much at risk. And I wonder if they do yeah. what I was talking about before, feel like if you start questioning and changing one thing, does it mean that the whole underpinnings are going to completely fall apart? And does it mean, well, the finances are a big part of it, especially for the mainline denominations, because there's a lot of money, there's a lot of money um, needed to maintain these church structures and the mm-hmm. pension systems and the, you know, the charitable organizations and all that stuff. So there's big money involved. And if you shift things, then it often means that people will leave. Like in the Methodist church right now, there's a major upheaval going on because um, it, homosexuals are not allowed to get married in the church or be ordained. Um, and so they're facing a big vote in um, February of this coming year, uh, where they're going to determine what's going to happen. They're going to vote on a plan for how to move forward without destroying, completely destroying the denomination. So there's all these implications of, of um, finance and, and, you know, what if it breaks up? And so I don't know if that's part of it. I mean, you've got the Catholic Church where it's got this magisterium, which moves at the pace of, um, like, rocks being built through <laughs> sediment you know <laughs> yeah no i agree uh, with you yeah so so i'm money's not really a big sure issue. what it is money is a huge issue yeah all right so uh i don't know how much longer you have but i want to jump into a few of these questions that i had for you sure getting back on the lgbt side of this conversation so uh just a couple questions uh, we can just talk about them. You can answer them, whatever. As an advocate of the LGBT community to the church, are you even a little understanding of conservative views when it comes to the topic? Yes, largely because I came out of that view. So it okay. makes it, um, I think it puts me in a really good position to be able to talk about it because I have, um, some sympathy for the mindset. I understand how the mindset works. I understand where the arguments come from. Um, and I have sympathy for people who are stuck, unable to escape it. So, so yeah, I think I can, I can negotiate that perhaps better than some other people. That's good because I feel like there's a proper way to, to address that. I mean, you're talking about, you know, the church is, uh, you know, an organization that's, you know, been stuck in this belief for a really long time, you know, so especially when the same-sex marriage law passed, I mean, it was a huge thing here. I mean, especially here in the Bible Belt. I mean, it was, you saw, you know, families being torn apart by this, almost like it was a civil war going on inside people's hearts, Mm -hmm. churches and all kinds of stuff, you know? So, I mean, that's sad. I know it, it is, you know? So I, I like that. That's that's a good answer. I mean, just being able to, you know, address the people who are still in that mindset of this is wrong, um, being able to kind of understand how they how they're at that point. So the last um, devotional that I wrote, the most recent, 
is called I Don't Want Them to Go to Hell. And it's designed for people in that mindset who's who have had a family member come out to them, perhaps a child. You know, I always envision a parent and their child comes out to them and they're just heartbroken yeah. because, you know, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They love their love child. Them. Often these kids have um, come up in the faith and and love God, and these parents are are stuck just not knowing what at all to do. So you know that book was 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 speaking to me because I do have sympathy with that um, yeah with that experience. Okay. Um, at face value, there are okay. So this is just a statement. At face value, mm-hmm. there are tons of scriptures that seem to disagree with the lifestyle. And we've kind of talked about a couple of them. Um, and that just kind of goes along with that first point of how people can kind of be in that mindset of, you know, that lifestyle is wrong because, you know, the tons of scriptures that have at least been taught to people in certain ways kind of hint to that. So, um, generations ago I, do you have well yeah, sorry yeah, yeah. i'm going to just jump back to that one it's actually not a handful i mean they call them the clobber passages uh-huh. and there's like depending on look at there's really like seven to ten um, okay and that's it out of the whole book um so yeah there's actually not very many okay and yeah and i know a lot of them especially the ones in the New Testament that talk about it, they are completely uh, contextual to a certain city even. I mean, especially if you're looking at uh, uh, the book of Romans is one that people go to, uh, Romans 1, where it talks about um, people forsook God and desired the, their own ways and it led them down that path or whatever. It's, it's in like Romans 1, like 13 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But if you were to take that um, at face value and say this group of people is wrong, um, in that in that same passage, and this is kind of an understanding that I came to in this with this specific scripture, even though I do believe a lot of those are completely contextual, like to that specific group of people, and I don't think that, um, and there's a, there's a lot of people I've, I've read a lot into it that are that say that the Greek word for homosexual doesn't even necessarily mean a man and a man or a woman and a woman. It means more of like a man who sleeps around a lot in that kind of lost context throughout generations or something like that. Um, and I don't know if you've looked into that at all, but to, from my understanding to look at that scripture specifically in Romans one, where it says that homosexuality is that homosexuals are evil. You would have to say that they, I mean, it goes through a whole list, that they're evil, they hate their parents, they are haters of good, lovers of evil, all they want to do is destroy people, and clearly that's not the case, especially in in, in modern society. I mean, you cannot look at anyone who is same-sex and look at that person and say, oh, they clearly hate their parents, and they clearly love evil and they hate everything that's good you can't say that no and it's 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 being twisted around because what's being talked about in the passage i'm not sure if it's romans one because i was just opening it to try to try to find it um pretty much anytime paul talks about 
homosexual behavior. He's, um, he's talking, it's connected to idolatry. It's in the context of a discussion. Yeah. Talking to the Romans, which, you know, you, you were talking about a polytheistic society. There's many gods. And um, some of these new believers are going to want to include this one true God that, you know, the Jew, Jewish people and these new and the new Christian now Christians believe in. They're going to want to shove them into this pantheon of gods. And Paul about some of the problems that have happened in the past related to idolatry. And so he goes through these lists of things that happened that have happened in the past about, um, the, you know, about uh, that are related to idolatry. Some of which was this particular kind of sexual activity that you were talking about. And, yeah. and some of those terms have to do with men um, having uh, power relationships over like male underage sex um partners that's one or abusive um well that was a big thing in rome sexual relationships exactly yeah and that was completely a cultural thing yeah so i think that some people are saying all of these negative behaviors and attributes that you know you you mentioned some of them are are being associated with homosexuality when that's not what the passages are saying at all. They're saying that there's a bunch of stuff that people get messed up with and a bunch of behaviors. And one of them in the list is this particular kind of sexual behavior. And that we've now then tried to pull it into modern day, um, you know, two guys who are happily married or whatever and said, Oh, this is what they're like. Yeah. You you get like two, I mean, even look at you specific, specifically, like you are married to a woman. You guys are happy in love, even more happy than you were when you were married to men. And the thing is, like, no one can look at your marriage and say that you are just horrible, I mean, evil people. And, you know, there's going to be those alt-right Christians who are going to say that. But, I mean, who cares what they even say? I mean. Those right. guys, those guys don't even know what they're talking about. But I don't know. You just can't. Well, you can't I, you know, compare it I, like I, it does in the freaking those certain scriptures. You can't compare it. You can't compare it. And I, you know, I sometimes ask people, well, what do you think God prefers? Do you think God has in his in God's design for marriage and and unity and unitiveness as kind of described through, say, the Song of Solomon and through Hosea, where he's talking about the um, the loyalty and fidelity and all these things that um, are outlined in scriptures as what God wants and wants for marriage. Um, do we really think that, so which, which would we, he prefer? Would he prefer a, a heterosexual couple who treats each other like crap, who lies and um cheats and you know doesn't serve the world and doesn't do the things jesus tells us to do or a same-sex couple who is kind to each other who's faithful who are Mm -hmm. honest who is serving the needy you know which which do you think is a better model or a better fit to match god's model for marriage exactly um but those, the the answer is always neither. Well, it's not like no. We're talking about the model for marriage, which is you know that isn't neither. No. Uh, there's always that loophole. <laughs> right. <laughs> C is not an option on this test. Right. <laughs> hey, I am so sorry, but I've got to jump off the call here. 
I've got a little girl that needs tucked in. So oh, oh nice. <laughs> well, it was nice to, to meet you by voice, Libby. You too. And thank you for your, I just, you speak so articulately and intelligently about this. I really appreciate um, hearing um, what you've said tonight. Well, thank you. And I'll, uh, I'll lift you in prayer for your journey. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye, Libby. Okay, bye. Mm-hmm. All right, so I just have one more question for you, and then we'll let you go. We're at like an hour here, so we've had a pretty good episode. Okay. Um, Hopefully, be able to edit some stuff out. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm going to edit quite a bit out. Just uh, lot of dead space and uh, trains going by and yeah, stuff like that. So, <laughs> um, also I want to say like, yeah, I sometimes I uh, I try to speak as openly as possible without being like offensive or anything like that. So. If I've been like offensive or said anything wrong or out of context at all, please forgive me. Well, I'll tell you another gift that God has given me is that um, I don't take offense easily at all. I mean, I don't think you've said anything offensive, but even if you had, I really am hard to offend. And I consider that a great gift also. (laughs) Yeah, I don't necessarily think I've said anything offensive, uh, maybe ignorant, Um for sure. I, I don't know. But yeah, no, I just wanted no to apologize for if I've done anything because I appreciate you being on here and um, I love hearing your story. So it's been really good. All right. So my last question, are you hopeful for LGBT persons in the church in the future? Are you excited for the future of the church um, as far as all of that goes? <laughs> I'm in general, I think that doesn't mean that I don't think it's going to go through some hard times because I think it's going to go through some very rough times. Um, People are getting, as we started talking about when we first opened, people are fed up. They don't, um, they're seeing through the problems and they're, they're looking for depth and richness. I think we all hunger for that. We're, we're hungry and we want truth, we want beauty, and we want depth, and we want God. And yeah. when church is something that gets in the way of that, rather than pulling you toward it, uh, people are not going to put up with it anymore. Um, I think the issues of um, gay and lesbian and um, gender variant people within the church, their acceptance and their their full inclusion um, is going to be a piece of that that's going to cause some disruption and it's going to cause forward progress. Uh, you know, our current political environment is creating challenges because, you know, transgender people's rights are being threatened. There was news in this past week where the current administration is talking about trying to prevent people from being able to, um, they're trying to strip away the reality of, of, of transgender reality and, and, and kind of bare bones, the idea of gender to biological sex. Um, so, Wait, you know, going, like I said before, I don't keep up with uh, politics or uh, pop culture at all. What exactly have, has happened in the, in the media um, or in the political I'm realm? I'm not sure I can do. Yeah. I'm not sure I can do. Um, justice to the details but there's 
this move that people wouldn't be able to around the world. There have been things happening like on birth certificates, there's places to indicate um, other if, if a, a biological assignment at birth based on sex characteristics isn't clear, right? You've got an intersex person who has ambiguous genitalia. Uh-huh. Um, birth, birth certificates are increasingly around the world having an other category or some other categories okay. separate from other so that people, if they, if they're transgender, uh, they have an opportunity to get their gender marker changed on documents like birth certificates and things like that. This is happening all over the world in all different countries and cultures. Uh-huh. So that movement has been happening here too. Um, but there has been, so there's a story that the current administration is talking about how to halt that move backwards on it and um, have, I don't know if it has to do if it's associated with external sex characteristics or chromosomes or what, because I didn't, I was so disgusted. I didn't read um, the yeah. details of the story, but that's, uh, that, that's sad. You know, it's, it's yeah. really sad because it's, you know, gender is such an amorphous thing. It's such a social construct construct and, and people's views of it within the Christian sphere are so confused um, yeah, and, and I think a, people in the Christian, and especially on the conservative, charismatic Christian side of it, people are unwilling to take into account, even if they disagree, these people's testimonies and trying to understand them. It's 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 much like before um, before being gay became an acceptable thing in the church, even though it's not fully acceptable across all churches yet. Uh, there's not a lot of churches that really fight it anymore that I know of. Um, I'm not really connected mm-hmm. to a lot of churches, but it, it seems like a pretty ac- acceptable thing now. Um, but before it was, um, it, it was looked at as uh, demonic oppression or a brain problem or, y- you know, we put all these things on it. And and now that it has become such a cultural issue, a cultural norm, you know, it has become an, an, an acceptable thing in the church, and it's kind of like what I was talking about earlier, where the church kind of fights cultural change until it can't really anymore, and then it's like, okay, it wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Yeah, and it is. You're, you're right. I think that the gender issues are following the same path, but it's it's so silly because people, like, you can ask them, well, how do you feel about tomboys? Are tomboys okay? And most people are like, yeah, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Girls don't always have to wear pink or they don't always. And so, like, okay, well, where is the line at which it becomes not okay and becomes sinful? And the reality is that they can't point to a line because the line doesn't actually exist. Okay. Um, and there's also this deep misunderstanding about what makes up someone's sex their their gender i mean it's a complex system of you know the their chromosomes their chemistry their brain formation their um external sex characteristics and and just personality you know it all comes together it's far from black and white people are so far from black and white you know the, all the people you know there's you've got some guys who are more soft spoken they're more mm-hmm. um expressive they're more sensitive all those things that you know people would as- associate with femininity yeah. um 
And there's just this huge wide range that everyone knows, everyone accepts. But when people start saying, hey, I'm a little bit farther over in this, so much farther over that I really, you know, that I identify as a female, then all of a sudden people are freaking out. (laughs) No, I totally hear you on that because like me personally, I work with uh, a bunch of construction workers and it may be because of my age or whatever, you know, it. I don't really correlate with them a lot. A lot of them are a lot more thick-skinned, brash, say whatever the hell's on their mind, don't care who they offend, and just kind of uh, just all the way out there and up front. And, uh, you know, it, it, I don't. it's not intimidating, but at the same time, it's like I don't really – I'm not super comfortable around that crowd at the same time, so – I do understand what you're saying with those characteristic issues, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. not even not everyone has those same uh character identifiers per se. Right. So, right. The sort of Yeah, everyone's super, different. Um, J- yeah, just because just because I am a man, I am a cisgen man, you know, I identify as a man, you know, it doesn't mean I have to be this, you know, cliche cussing every word going up fighting someone and chugging beers guy you know right Right. it's just that's not not the definition of of what makes a male (laughs) i mean exactly i don't even know frankly i don't even know what makes male and female anymore masculine and feminine i think that the whole Mm. you know other than that even biological sex is murky and clearly the social norms for masculinity and femininity change across time and change across geography. And, you know, after all, Jesus wore a dress. Um, Yeah. That's the part that kind of loses me. The whole stuff is goofy. What'd you say? That's the part that, that kind of loses me um, that I kind of get confused about because I, I love facts and science and stuff like that. So for me, it's like I I really I, – I don't know. I feel like as far as sex goes, there's got to be some kind of scien- scientific identifiers. Uh, the, I, I don't know. I'm not saying I don't agree with the transgender movement because I totally believe like let people be whoever they want to, whatever they want to. It's not affecting uh-huh. me by any standard at all. But at the same time, I feel like – we have to come up with some – there has to be some kind of scientific explanation of what makes a male a male and a female a female, even if it isn't genitalia, even if it isn't, you know, XY or XX I, – I don't even know. I, I don't know chromosomes or anything like that. You know, like there, we have to – there's got to be something, you know. In, in my mind, that's what I'm thinking. Like there's got to be some kind of hardcore proof. I mean – Unless it is all just 100% liquid, you know, and everyone... I, I think that there are... It's probably like a bell curve. And gotcha. that that the problem is that we associate gender performance with biological sex, and we don't know how to separate the two. Okay. So there is some mixture and mushiness of biological sex and what what that means. Like, okay, are you a biological male if you have a a very defined penis? Or are you a biological male if you have um, 
you know, XX chromosome, XY chromosomes, or if you, uh-huh. you know, what is it, what is it that makes you, um, a biological male? Um, so there's some mushiness there because there could be variability in, in hormones, brain, okay. chromosomes and sex characteristics. But what makes it really mushy is when you then mix in this idea of male, the idea of masculinity, um, and I think that that's okay. where it gets even more confusing. Adding in more of the perception on top of what's already there. Yeah. Yes, and the expectation. Kind of like uh, what we just uh, talked about, the whole uh, grow a beard, chug a beer, and punch someone in the face kind of guy. Yeah. Right. That, that expectation. You know, men fight. Just one men, interesting yeah. thing that I, I discovered when doing some research for my books is that um, in the Talmud, there's a, a tractate which lists – um, six different genders because, uh, or, and it was intermixed with just as it is often considered now intermixed with biological sex. Um, because back, um, back then males could do certain things that females couldn't do. So they had four genders in addition to male and female, um, which had to do with the appearance of being a male or the appearance of being a female and depending on the degree you were allowed to do or not do certain things. So like blowing the shofar, if you are just a regular old male, you could blow it for anyone to hear. If you're like one variant, you could blow it for other people of that variant to hear. If you were another variant, you could only blow it for yourself to hear. Um, so there is this, there was this recognition way back then in our Jewish roots, the Jewish roots of Christianity had an understanding of gender variance. Um, and now, you know, we just demand that it's this binary thing again with this, you know, light switch approach, this black and white approach that we Christians seem to want to have to shove everything into. Yeah. Okay. So, so what you're saying is there's just a lot to it and maybe we just don't understand it all. I think that's absolutely true. You know, my hope is that very quickly we will come, you know, have you seen the pictures of what the, what humans around the world are projected to look like? And I don't know, in the times to come, I don't know how soon, but everybody is this sort of mix of, um, kind of a cocoa skin and, um, really varying colored eyes, but yeah, because of the ethnic mixing that's happening and that eventually it's going to continue and continue and everybody is going to be this sort of, this sort of mix. Well, you know, my hope is that very quickly people are just going to be able to be people and we're not going to need um, to have all these defining lines and because it's not going to matter. People are who they are yeah, and they I'm, love who they love. And I honestly, I can't wait for a time like that. No, Where lines aren't drawn by skin color and sexual orientation and what's between your legs. And, you know, it's people are defined by who they are as people. By my thoughts right. and ideas, not the color of my skin, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, so that, you know, I think eventually we'll get to that. But but until then, you know, people have to be able to, people have been fed up saying that their existence isn't, right? I mean, they've been told you have to be male or female when they say, no, I'm not. Or you have to be heterosexual and they say, no, I'm not. I'm something different. And they want a name. They want to be named so that they feel like there's validity to their existence. So, you know, we're kind of in that stage where it's, it's a stage of rebelling against 
um, kind of oppression of, of people's realities. And, and hopefully that's going to balance out and go away eventually. I hope so. I hope everyone can have conversations like we've had tonight eventually. That's the goal. Me too. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing it. Thank you so much for this, uh, for your show. Yeah, thanks for being on our uh, tiny little podcast here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it was so, a pleasure. Yeah, so uh, go ahead and uh, tell everybody where they can reach you, where they can find your books, and all that, all those plugs there. Sure. So my devotionals you can find at wheretoloveis.com. And um, there's also Twitter and Facebook accounts for Where True Love Is. Um, my children's books um, are named after the main character, Rumple Pimple. Um, and that's a very unusual word, one word, Rumple Pimple. So it's pretty easy to find. He's, he's very active on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so that's those are the easiest also on amazon uh you can look for my name suzanne dewitt hall or either of those book names and you'll find it up there all righty well thanks again for being here suzanne not susan <laughs> <laughs> it was my pleasure I, I really enjoyed talking to you guys all righty well uh until we speak again 